same age. And uh, <clears throat> we spent probably close to three hours just talking and direction of life, the way things go, the way the Lord orchestrates things. And I just started just talking to him about Romans 8 and about how all things work together for good, even sometimes when we cannot see that it is working for our good. And I want to preach this message to you here tonight. When your first choice is God's second choice. Acts chapter 16, I'd like to begin in verse 7. The Bible says there, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed or wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit allowed them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And you notice there in verse 7, they wanted to go to Bithynia, but instead God gave them Troas. When your first choice is God's second choice. And I want the Lord to touch us here tonight. Let's ask the Lord to minister. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness. Lord, for your presence. I ask you, Lord, tonight that this, Lord, message, that God, that it would encourage the church, that, Lord, that it would give us insight. I know, Lord, that there are a number of us, that, Lord, that we're looking down back trails. We're looking down roads that we've traveled. There's no way, Lord, to go back and and redo and make U-turns or left turns or right turns. You brought us, Lord, to where we are. Help us to put our trust, our confidence, Lord, in you, that you have us exactly, Lord, where you want us to be right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When your first choice is God's second choice. I know that one of the challenging spiritual battles that all of us face, if you will be honest with yourself, is that sometimes there can be a gnawing, unsettling feeling of discontentment that can rob joy, can rob encouragement, and can rob you of the place that the Lord really uh, would like for you to be in your mind. Sometimes the challenge of new houses, new cars, new clothes, new things captivate us in a way 
where that when we finally do put our hands on those things, if we're not careful, the beast of more can literally devour what you have and what the Lord has provided for you. Read a story about a young man that ended up being drafted and going into World War II, but prior to that, this young man had a desire to go to medical school, and while he was in high school, he took every class he could take to kind of to help him to prepare to take the medical college admission test. And uh, for whatever reason, at the time, he did not have enough money to take that test, and it was about that time that the draft began to take place for World War II, and he ended up going to, going to the war, and then he came home, and whenever he came home, it ended up uh, that he never got the opportunity to go uh, to become a physician. His chance bypassed him, and he allowed his entire life to be filled with regret and to be filled with, with a place where that, uh, that he was almost like that he was a second-class citizen. I believe that there's probably, uh, if we're honest, that that young man, uh, while he's passed away now, that uh, there are people here tonight that you have uh, regrets. You have things that you look back to in your life, things that you may have set sights on and that you may have set goals on, and yet uh, here you are and you didn't achieve uh, what you were uh, had in mind in that part. We have to be careful that we don't fall into a place of, of disappointment or that we fall into a place where that we become embittered with life. And even the greater matter is that we become embittered with God about where that we are at in this particular station of life. That was some of the things that I would talk to Ron about this past Wednesday morning whenever we were, uh, whenever I met with him. And uh, contentment is one of the best blessings that you can have in your life, is to be able to be content with where that you are and the places that, that you frequent and that you go to. Now, I want to clarify that contentment is not complacency, uh, nor is it apathy, nor is it laziness. There uh, is a part where that I believe that all of us, that if you live your life from an eternal perspective, then you begin to realize that the things of this earth, as the song goes, will go strangely dim. God has placed and guided every one of our lives, especially if you are spirit-filled. He's allowed your life to be able to get in to a place of service and to that particular place where you are right now, and there's a reason for that. I believe that most of us, whenever we get to heaven,
then the Lord gives us rewards. And I pray that all of us, that we live our lives in a way where that, that we do hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But, but I realize that, that if we're there, that most of us will, will understand that God guided our lives in a way so that he could save us from this world that we live in. That there's things that you may have desired in uh, your life, and I'll just be uh, frank with you here tonight that that was some of the things that Ron and I talked about. Ron is is a nurse anesthetist at, at the medical center and works in various hospitals around. And, and we uh, enjoyed talking about medicine and some of the things that, that we had gotten involved in in the past. But uh, there's times where that, that both of us made decisions that have put us in the place where that we are right now. And what we have to do is to realize is that there is an overarching sovereignty of God, that God has us where he wants us to be, especially if you are a person that is given to prayer or you are, are a person that understands the word of God. There was a young man by the name of Jules Levy. He's dead now. He lived in the 1800s. He was born in 1838. Incredible poverty that he was born into in his life. And somehow or another, he came into the ownership of a cornet uh, mouthpiece. Now, you, you think about that just for a moment. A cornet similar to a trumpet. Uh, he didn't have the cornet. All he had was the mouthpiece. And he spent his life while uh, he had that, that mouthpiece and he would go around as a kid and he would play uh, that and he would blow through that mouthpiece. That would probably be pretty funny. Uh, a kid blowing through about like Brother Abersole coming to church and getting up here with his trumpet and not bringing a trumpet but just bringing a mouthpiece. And we probably would all think that would be pretty humorous, but uh, there came a point in Jewel's life where that he and his dad had gone down to the local auction and there was a cornet uh, that, that was in horrible condition. It was burnished. It was beat up. was torn. Just or the, the pads in the uh, valves were, were in very poor shape. And uh, in the 1840s, they paid 15 shillings for it, which would come out to about $3. And that was almost a giveaway. And so Jules took that, that cornet home and he began to play that. Now, maybe you need to change it to trumpet because you'll kind of get a better idea. But he'd sit around in his bedroom and he'd play uh, that trumpet and make it was just a racket that his parents just about drove him crazy. Well, in the, in the process of all of it, he began to develop some bad habits and what he would do was he would fill his mouth up with air instead of, I guess, blowing, I don't know how you play a trumpet, but anyways, apparently you're not supposed to fill your mouth up with air. But in, in all of that, he be, managed to get uh, a, a lung infection and he spent about three months in a, in a very bad place because his lungs could not uh, recover from that sickness 
this. And uh, so somehow or another, he got back and, and started playing again, and he managed through an acquaintance. Uh, to find out that there was a music teacher there in London. And, and so he got there to London and this music teacher took a liking to him. And so he taught him six lessons. And um, after the sixth lesson, the teacher said, well, I'll tell you what, you've done so good at this. He said, we'll, we'll try and we'll go another six lessons. And so it was that he got two more lessons, but this man was in the military and his regiment was deployed and so he was not able uh, to continue the lessons and so he was so disappointed by that and and the teacher understood the disappointment that that he had but he told him he said I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you Jules he said I'm I'm going to write down 20 lessons for you that are going to be progressive and what you need to do is you need to take these lessons and you need to continue to practice and to work with them and and so it was that, that that is what Jules continued to do. Those letters of encouragement from that music teacher began to give him even more of a greater desire to learn how to play that trumpet. And uh, even his most jealous contemporaries, as they looked at him, they, they began to realize that this man works hard at what he is trying to do. But what if he would have given up in disappointment whenever he only had just that mouthpiece? And what if he would have thrown in the towel because of having a subpar instrument? What if he would have quit? at every turn or obstacle that he was facing there. Sometimes we face setbacks, we face rough back roads, and yet God navigates our lives through those challenges that we face in our lives. And, and we have to realize that there's times in our lives that what God is doing is he's using all of those setbacks, all of those things that he brings into our lives to cause us to somehow to have greater spiritual maturity and understand that the will and the purpose of God is the most important thing that you have in your life. A lot of times it may seem like that our first choice is actually God's second choice, that he wants us to be able to do something with our life and be able to somehow to flow into the direction of the spirit that not realizing that if we were in the place of our first choice, that it would have been, it would have been detrimental to our soul and to our spirit. Some of the greatest advances in the world, you uh, start looking at them and you realize that that was not the first choice, that was the second choice. For those of you that are involved in medicine, uh, you probably are aware that Alexander Fleming, the inventor of penicillin, that it was an accident that he found penicillin. He was looking for something totally different and he discovered penicillin. Coronary heart cast, which we, some of us in here, thank God that they can do heart cast these days, but that was actually an accident. 
because one of the cardiologists up at the Cleveland Clinic, whenever he was doing a heart cath one day, instead of injecting the contrast into the left ventricle of the heart, he accidentally parked that catheter into one of the coronary arteries. And whenever he injected that contrast on the screen there, it, it lit up and it was because of his second choice that now we are able to enjoy some of the advancements that medicine gives to our lives. The natural world and even the spiritual world are full of examples that fit into that particular category. If some of you are familiar with the story of Sister Bobby Wendell, she was an early missionary to Ethiopia and whenever she got to Ethiopia, it was through a horrific event that her husband ended up committing suicide while that he was there. And, and it was literally like she felt like her life was unraveling there, but God had a greater purpose that he worked out of that tragedy. There's other things that I could tell you here tonight throughout history that there are exactly those kinds of things that, that, that people wanted something first and yet God said, no, I, I don't think I want you there. I want you in this particular place and I want you operating under the guise of this particular situation. The text that I read to you here tonight, Paul's first choice, when you look at it, in Acts chapter 7 or 16 and verse 7, he, he actually wanted to go to Bithynia, but he ended up in Troas. Troas was a coastal town. It was a town where that, that, that although its climate was a good place to be because it was not Paul's first choice. He probably had to deal with some disappointment that he found there. And yet he intended to do one thing, but God intended for him to do something else. Some lessons, there's three of them that I want to bring out of this segment here tonight. <coughs> and the first one that I want to tell you is this, is that closed doors, they are necessary in your life. It's necessary for the Lord to close some doors in your life. A few days ago, Brother Patterson and I were talking about uh, the matter of him being here in Dothan and, and just all of the unfolding circumstances that, uh, that, that caused him to be here in Dothan, Alabama. And, and there were times in the past, especially at Christmas time, that Sister Patterson always had such a unique gift that she would give uh, to Brother Patterson. And, and years ago, one of those one of those gifts that she gave to him was just a little small portion of the Berlin Wall, and and that had and she wrote a poem that went along with that. And yet, because of that wall, God was working thousands of miles from here to get Brother Patterson in this slot. He didn't want to go back into the military, but God orchestrated and moved things in that particular manner. And you have to know that there will be doors that God will close in your life and they are necessary for those doors to be closed. Whenever you begin to understand that, I believe that it brings about a greater desire in our lives at least to submit to the hand of God. 
God was saying no to him. He was saying no very emphatically to him. And, and he said, uh, Paul, I want to go to I want to go to Phrygia. No. I want to go to Galatia. No. I want to go to Mysia. No. I want to go to Bithynia. No. God closes doors sometimes to test our character and to test our faith. It's in those moments where that the question isn't really whether you can serve God when everything that you touch is turning into gold, but can you serve God whenever it seems like you're in a place that is difficult and it's challenging and it's hard, but here is the question that we have to ask ourselves again and again, can I serve God whenever the doors do not open up before me? There's gonna be times in your life there's going to be times in your service to God where then it's going to seem like that the road literally is going to rise up in front of you and there's going to be a wall that is there and you're going to say how in the world can it be that 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 I am at this place that that I want this particular thing to happen and yet it has not happened in the way that we had necessarily envisioned it to take place and, and what do we do we we strain at the barricades we struggle with the closures and and we begin to say God why didn't you allow me to do this particular thing why didn't you allow uh, this certain situation to open up Lord it could have been so good for me to be able to be in this place or be in that position or be with that particular person and yet here's what you have to understand that that in those moments that it seems like that every bit of our circumstances in life that they sap our strength and the circumstances causes us to become weary with where we're at but yet here's what we don't understand is that in those times our character is being developed can you pray when the heavens seem to be like brass can 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 you serve God despite the fact that sometimes you cannot hear his voice can you press on in the in the face of literally hardship and and criticism can you press on in the place where that it feels like that that you're surrounded with wolves and that there are lions that are out to get you to devour you can you preach in a church that is empty. Now it's odd that I wrote this message in October of 2010 and I asked that question that time and a year ago we were right here in this place. We were singing and praying and preaching in an empty building so I can say we can check that off there. But, but again, can you pray in faith for healing whenever God seemingly has not healed in months? Can you be faithful to God whenever it doesn't seem like that things are are moving in your direction? Can you labor in the harvest when it seems like that you're not taking in any crops or any produce? Can you do the will of God when it is hard to do the will of God. 
That's the question to ask yourself. And when God withholds things from us sometimes, we have to wrestle with disappointments. We have to wrestle with our failures. We have to wrestle with the what ifs. What, what if I would have uh, did this particular thing in, in 1997? What if I would have done that particular thing in 1998? What if I would have done this thing six months ago? Or, or what if I would have done this? What you, you understand where that I'm coming from, but, but in the passage that I read to you here tonight, we have to believe that the, that the leading and the Holy Ghost that at times is marked by restraint and it's marked by closed doors because here is the part that you don't know is that you're looking from this angle and God is looking from up above and he's watching the way that everything is laid out and the way that everything is going to unfold, Paul had important plans for reaching those great cities there in Asia, but, but important plans don't always have the priority uh, that we have in life. I, I can remember uh, this was sometime in 1994, 95, and, and there was a, a young man in our church that was very uh, discouraged. And uh, I, I remember... Uh, one night I told him, I said, come on, I, I want you to go with me and, uh, and I, I want to just, let's just talk. And, and he started just talking to me and started pouring his heart and his mind out. And I, I began to tell him that, that God has an overarching plan. And, and uh, we drove all over this city on that Sunday night after uh, service there. And I was doing everything I could to encourage uh, this young man in his service for the Lord. And uh, we drove down 231 South. Well, this is after 90, it was sometime after 96 because we bought that property down there on 231. And I remember driving my car up in that, uh, up in that, that place there and, and I drove down the fence row and, and uh, come up the back and drove through the weeds and, and all the way up and this is what I told that, that young man I said I, I'm just going to tell you this that in 20 years from now there's going to be an apostolic church that's going to be sitting right here on this property and, and, and at that moment I believe that I thought you know what the Lord has provided it was miraculous the way that our church happened to be able to purchase the property on 231 South. And I think that all of us probably in our mind had envisioned that that is where that God is going to lead us to as a church. And I, I want to use this kind of as a, as a big example because all of us are moving in the same direction. I hope to try to build a church in this city. But, but, but it works in the same way even in our individual lives that there's dreams and desires and, and things that you, you think, you know what, if I can just get involved in this business or if I can just get this education or if I can just get this particular job, then things are gonna smooth out and move in the right direction. And I did not understand that, that, that sometimes that God does to us the same way that he did to the apostle Paul. I can see it now. 
I can see the way that things have unfolded and it's the will and the purpose of God that we are where we're at right now. But do you see where that closed doors that they're necessary? The closed doors are necessary. And sometimes we ask, why doesn't, why don't, why doesn't God heal? Why, why, why does it seem like it's so challenging and, and so hard and so difficult? It's because that we realize that God closes doors and there are times that it is necessary for those doors to be closed. So what do you do while the doors are closed? You do the basics. Don't let your disappointment disarm your faith. Don't, don't let that do. You have no idea how many times that I would go to Alexandria to be cause of the times and, and come home and start getting back toward here. And, and you're like, Lord, I know you want to do up, you want to bring a revival to Dothan. I know that there's more that you have in mind for a church, and yet you get here, and it seems like that it is just as hard and challenging as it can be to try to evangelize our city, but we have to understand that Paul had the wrong time and they would be reached but they would not be reached at that particular moment. Paul was never given a reason for the rejection of his his plans. Those doors, they, they simply were closed and he did what he was called to do and what was that? Go to another place. And so what do we do when God says, okay, You're wanting to go to Bithynia, but I'm going to put you in Troas. Well, here's what you do. You keep praying. You keep fasting. You keep witnessing. You keep paying your tithes. You keep preaching the word. You keep praying in the altars. You keep your desire for holiness. You keep your heart pure. You keep your spirit clean. You allow God to allow you to be an encouragement to those that are around you. Keep reading your Bible. Keep showing up at church. Keep being a godly husband. Keep being a faithful wife because here's what the enemy wants to do he wants you to get off track when the doors are closed don't let the devil take advantage of your disappointment and cause you to sin or cause you to give up because God has a plan and a lot of times we're just a few steps maybe I should say a few years because I think that as you get older and you start looking back, you start realizing I, God, God knew what he was doing. If a man loses his character when the doors close up, a lot of times he will disqualify himself for a greater purpose in the future. So what do you do? You stay steady and faithful when the doors are closed. Here's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. For he that soweth to his flesh, he's going to of his flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. You ought to underline this in your Bible. Even the youth shall faint. 
and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, and they will not faint. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 16 in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem fear thou not and to Zion don't let your hands be slack and so we shouldn't let our hands be slack we shouldn't give up hope no matter what takes place in uh, politics no matter what takes place with the economy no matter what takes place sometimes with people even that, that we may have confidence in, don't let your life fall into a place where that you say, okay, it's, it's easy. I'm just going to mail it in. I'm, I'm just going to just go through the motions. God does not need that kind of person because there's times when your first choice is God's second choice. The second lesson that I would bring out, and these other two are not as long as the first one, so take confidence in that. Number one, closed doors are necessary. But the second one is this, is that closed doors are not necessarily a rebuke. Some of the noblest and greatest goals that you have in your life they will have their delays and some of the greatest longings of our heart, they will be delayed. But here's what the devil would like for us to do. He'd like for us to buy into the idea that, that wrong motives and a wrong spirit and a soiled life is, is okay to get involved in when the door is closed. See there, if you were such and such, that door would be opened up. See there, if you would have prayed more, then that door would be opened up. If, if your faith was a little bit stronger, that door, it would be opened up. If you weren't such a flop, that door, it would be opened. And yet I've come to realize more and more is a precious gift. We are called to a high level of holiness. But my salvation is not about my performance. My salvation is about the grace of God and about the way that he interacts with every one of us to be able to redeem us and to save us from sin. Do, do we need to have committed prayer lives? Absolutely. Do we need to be stable parents? Absolutely. Do we need to give ourselves to a local church and be committed? Absolutely. Do we need to have reverence and honor for the saints and the spiritual leadership in a church? Absolutely. But understand this, that there's hinges that the Lord, that doors are on, that the Lord is ultimately in control and closed doors do not necessarily mean that they're there to rebuke us. In fact, here's what I noticed that a lot of times it has nothing to do with the man that may or may not have the dream, but it has everything to do with the will of God and the timing where that God puts us into a a particular place 
into a particular relationship and so the long and sometimes in our souls is a preparation process because I would tell every one of you here tonight that, that if you were in that old sanctuary there's, there's landmarks around that old sanctuary where that the Lord invested things in to your heart and into your spirit it was a preparation process and my hope for this sanctuary now is that you have landmarks, that you have places where that the Lord has already touched you right here in this sanctuary and there are things where that the Lord has deposited into your heart right here because what's he doing? He's preparing you for something that will come to pass. We don't harvest peanuts in April. We plant them in April. They harvest them in October. You don't harvest tomatoes in January. You plant the tomatoes. I remember what Sister Hobbs told me one time. She said, Brother Harrelson, she said, if you want to have good tomatoes, said, I, I can tell you when you need to plant them. I said, when, when I need to plant tomatoes, Sister Hobbs. She said, when you start seeing the pecan tree start budding out, that's whenever you need to plant your tomatoes. And I guess she'd been around long enough and observed long enough that she probably was right about that. But here's the part we don't harvest tomatoes in January, but all of us are about to, we want to get in our cars come June, come right about now, and start driving down to Slocum to the tomato festival and buying some tomatoes from uh, Applin Farm. And there's nothing. I'm going to get off track here in this message, Sister Tanya. There is nothing like fresh-shelled peas and fresh-shelled butter beans and sitting down and salting those things down until when you put them in your mouth, it's like your mouth puckers. You've got so much salt in it. And you take a piece of tomato and slice it, put it in the refrigerator. I don't like them raw when they're hot. Put them in the refrigerator, let them get chilled down. You cut those tomatoes up, salt them down, and you eat those tomatoes. What I'm getting at is this, is that there's things that God's gonna bring to harvest and he's gonna bring them to pass in your life. But right now is not harvest time. Right now is a preparation time. Right now is a time for you to be faithful. Right now is the time for you to tell the devil, you're a liar, devil. You're not going to destroy me. Right now is the time for you to get yourself by the back of your collar and say, my flesh is not going to control me because God has got a greater purpose for my life even though it looks like the, the door is closed. And it's in those moments that what you have to do is that you're faithful during that closed door time. A closed door is not a rebuke from the Lord, but rather it's time for that seed to die in the ground. And then that seed begins to emerge. And then a few weeks later, there is a harvest that begins to take place. And more often than not, we look at closed doors as moments of failure. And God said it's not a moment of failure. It's a moment of maturity. It's a moment where God's got his brakes on that engine. Howard Goss, one of the early leaders in the Pentecostal movement around 1904, 1905, was exposed to the work of the Holy Ghost there in, 
the Houston area. He desired the Holy Ghost more than, than anything <coughs> in his life. And, uh, but despite the fact that he wanted it and he sought for it, a year passed, then beyond that year, Lord, I want the Holy Ghost. And he got down to a, a, he got on a train that was going from Galveston, Texas to Angleton, Texas. And when he got in that train there, there was 10 or 11 young men, young preachers that were in uh, that car there with him and they pulled out of Galveston and whenever they pulled out of Galveston it wasn't too long before they were the only ones in that car, in that train and and uh, some of those young men started singing, some of them started praying and, and it was in that atmosphere that they began to worship and begin to exhort each other with the word of the Lord that the Holy Ghost fell in that train and Howard Goss, one of our early apostolic pioneers, the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost while he was on that train there. I'm encouraging everybody here tonight that if you have not received the Holy Ghost, that you don't need to stop. You need to continue to press on because God is gonna get you in the right atmosphere. And when the Lord moves you into that place where that he's able to work, it's in those moments that he can fill us with the Spirit. The third lesson, first one, closed doors are necessary for us. Second, closed doors are not necessarily a, a rebuke. And then the last one is closed doors will bring open vision. You still have your Bibles open. Look there in verse 9. The Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, you, you, you have to understand this, that the devil wants you to get so log jammed at the closed doors that you cannot press on and see into the future. He, he can get you fretting. He can get you worrying. He can keep you up late at night. He can, he can literally paralyze our lives with fear and that is the task of the enemy to get you into a place where that you are gridlocked. And you start, did I, did I make a mistake? Uh, I wish I would have done this particular thing because if I would have done this particular thing, then this door would have opened up and I would have move through that but every great revival every great church every great life anybody that's ever done anything for the Lord here's what they have to do there's some time some place where there'll be a flashpoint of vision and it begins to suddenly open your eyes up and you begin to see the purpose here is the purpose of what God's called me to be and what God's called me to do. And so what you have to do is you have to look at that vision and then you look beyond and what happened in Troas. Well, the Bible tells us it wasn't too long before he run into a lady by the name of Lydia 
down at the riverside, and they started meeting and gathering there, and there was a church that was established out of that little group. Remember Lydia, seller of purple. Then you read on a little more, and there was a demoniac girl that was delivered, and yet in the middle of all that chaos, Paul and Silas got in trouble, and they ended up getting thrown in prison, and yet God wanted to intersect them with the Philippian jailer. The only place he could get them in contact with that Philippian jailer was through pain. And I want to tell a church here tonight then there's sometimes that the only way that God can reach somebody else is because you have to go through a painful circumstance so that you're going to be put in the vicinity of somebody that you're going to be able to help. But Paul didn't know any of that. He knew none of that. And I dare say I could walk down every row here tonight in this church and I could speak to you about times in your life where I'm aware that it seemed like the doors would be shut. There, there are others of you here tonight that, that you, you have... You, you could tell me about situations where that the door seemed to be locked up and you were not able to advance in the direction that you wanted to go. But God wanted you not in Bithynia, but he wanted you in Troas. Y'all mute me for a minute. Let me get down here on the floor and I'll be safe.